Good evening, everybody. It's 21st Century Saints. We're here tonight with our very own Peter Bleakley from Mormon Civil War and our very, very much loved Mormon Freedom Fairy, Lynn Bleakley. And we're here with our podcast editor and chair, producer, Wonder Woman all rolled into one, Jane Christie and the superb hey. Ruth Heath, who everybody is madly falling in love with as we talk because she brings brilliant stuff to the content to this program so we're here tonight two years on from the time when peter was excommunicated from the church of jesus christ the latter-day saints we're going to leave peter to tell you in his own words why he was excommunicated and we're going to have a discussion about what that's been like for peter and lynn two years later living in exile within the church of jesus christ the latter-day saints before we carry on with the programme, Jane, can you just do an update on our survey that we are asking people Ooh. to complete? Yes, the, the big announcement. So on Sunday, uh, Sarah, Ruth and I, we went live to launch our survey. So what we're looking for is if you are in any way attached or related to... Mormonism in any of its forms, especially we're focused here on the UK, um, but also if you're around the world, then you know we would we would we would love to hear from you so that we can get an idea of what your experience is. What we've done is we've asked for people to come forward to talk about their experiences of abuse. Um, we launched a survey, hopefully to make it more comfortable for people to be anonymous. Um, and already we've had incredibly helpful information provided to us. So we just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's reached out, um, who would prefer to talk by email or in person. Your stories have helped us keep people safe. Um, and the, the stuff that's coming into us from the survey, um, whether you choose to do the survey or you choose to do that in person, you're in complete control. The main thing we wanted to stress is that it's completely confidential. We will only know who you are or have any email address or anything like that for you if you provide it to us. So you're in complete control of who you tell, how you tell, um, and when you tell. Um, what we want to do is to get some information about how prevalent abuse is. Um, because as we've been working in this space, it's become really clear to us that the church here in the UK, in this area, they don't have an idea of what we're hearing. They don't have an idea of scale. In fact, the numbers that they provided um, publicly about the scale of abuse here in the UK, it is so low, it's statistically not possible. So we wanted to hear from people who have had experiences or who have witnessed um, or who are just aware of things that have happened in, in their ward or stake or their extended families, whatever that might look like, so that we can see where the gaps are. We're already identifying clusters um, of areas where there, there are concerns, um, particular patterns. And that, that we would like to see addressed. So your the information that you're providing is extremely helpful. Um, and we will give you as much time as you need to tell your story in the way that you find most appropriate. Um, again, no one gets to know about this. Um, Sarah is involved in these discussions um, and, and has met with several people who have just been so... Um, 
brave and, and coming forward to, to share their, their experiences. So, um, and it's, you know, it, it's been really empowering for people. Um, Sarah, you, when people come forward, you link people in with, if they require it, support services, um, legal support, mm -hmm. um, that's appropriate. Um, what, what, what is it like for someone coming forward? Would you maybe speak to that for a second? I think for some people come forward for a variety of reasons. A lot of the time, people just want to be heard. They want to know that somebody believes them, that somebody cares about their story or what they've been through, and that somebody is willing to offer support and listen to them and not offer, oh, well, it doesn't matter, but acknowledge the seriousness of the harm that has been done and acknowledge that there is no excuse for the church to not be acting to make church a safe place for people to be absolutely yeah. um, so yeah so it's super empowering and you can find that study all across the, our social media channels on our website 21stCenturySaints.com um, it's you're talking about it on TikTok on, on Reels so if you feel that you can share the survey it would be incredibly helpful and do a hell of a lot of good uh, so thank you yeah that's what we've been up to yeah and lot, lots of different offers on the table around. So we can we can put you in contact with. Absolutely. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Sometimes Sarah's signal takes a little while to settle down. So while it's settling down at the moment, let's just let's just jump in. The gang's all here. Um, let's talk to you, Peter. Will you maybe take us back to where your story started? Uh, you, how long have you had you been in the church? What has your Mormon background looked like? Hmm. So, <laughs> back in time. <laughs> so I grew up in the church. My um, dad, uh, uh, my great grandmother was the first uh, bleakly to join the church in 1926, I think it was. Um, and right, sort of her descendants of all been members pretty much my uh dad grew up in the church um and went to Brigham Young University where he met my mum who was also English she was a recent convert sort of lapsed Catholic background um from southeast England and they had an amazing time it was kind of the you know end of the 60s start of the 1970s at BYU and for both of them, I think it was a real immersion into how the church should be. You know, they'd, they'd grown up in the state of the church in Britain was a tiny minority, quite heavily persecuted in lots of ways. Um, just kind of rebuilding the church from scratch after most people emigrated in the early years of the church. And so they then came back to Britain, to Southeast England. My dad was from Northern Ireland originally. And... Um, from then on, we're just busy, busy, busy in leadership roles of various kinds in the church. You know, dad was branch president pretty quickly on upon arrival with little two and a half year old me um, or one and a half then. I don't know, something like that. And um, and later in lots of state leadership roles, too. And so is my mum. So my mum was constantly bouncing around between ward and state relief society and primary roles and, and regional public affairs later on and so on. So very much kingdom builders, very faithful. Um, but the the kind of Mormonism I grew up with, um, I've now realised was really unusual because while being very devoted and serving and, and all of that, um, 
and high religiosity as it were while not being overbearing you know to thank goodness um they the the real difference or unusual thing was that our conversations at home would be very much um okay church was a disaster today all these women got hurt these things went wrong what are we going to do about it it was very much a, a taking responsibility a proactive approach of we're this is a work in progress which should be a very mormon concept you know we're we're, we're trying to make this thing work um mum had a lot of frustration as a woman in the church dealing with the patriarchy and and um dealing with different kinds of priesthood leaders who had ultimate control over the sisters that she laid and over her um and some so she had some very positive productive relationships with priesthood leaders others were a bit more fraught um and so i was kind of watching this drama unfold but very much from the point of view of where there's something wrong we can fix it we can it's our job to make this work we're all in this together um, rather than the leaders are infallible and I'm just meant to either be here and complain about them and do nothing or just trust that everything is fine and not think about it. Um, so I, I think we've always therefore had this sort of approach of being fixers. If there's a problem, we'll fix it. You know, we'll do something about it. We'll say something, we'll change something. Um, and certainly the version of Mormonism I was being taught theologically absolutely matched that. You know, we're here on earth to learn, to grow, to to struggle, to get better, to review our experiences and move forward um, and to step up and, and serve and make these things, these systems go better. Um, and that sort of worked for me for a long time. I served a mission in the Florida Tallahassee Mission in America. As an artist, I was able to do some really cool projects, painting murals in local schools, which helped break the ice a lot for the church in, in, in the Bible Belt. Um, <clears throat> and serving in two little developing branches. <clears throat> so I felt very much at home because the church in the deep south of the USA was about where it had been here in Britain a few years earlier, sort of through through the 1980s. So I've, I really felt comfortable and at home in that situation of some branches, some wards, just starting to get seminary going, you know, building the church up from scratch in a somewhat hostile environment. Um, came back, went to university, um, got very involved in Christian Union there, so um, which I had done as well at secondary school. And that led some really <coughs> interesting kind of frictions um, where, you know, you'd have an anti-cult campaigner come and do a tour of the local churches and suddenly I'm being asked not to say prayers in Christian Union meetings. Um, but this kind of backfired on them spectacularly because a student above me in the, in the art degree, uh, Steve Aitchison, amazing uh, born-again Christian, from Portsmouth, um, <clears throat> who was on the leadership committee of the Christian Union, was like, "Well, you can't do that because we're not a church. Why are you, why are you telling Peter he can't pray? How do you know he's not a Christian? What are your criteria?" So he started to investigate the church, and he got hold of every anti-Mormon book under the sun you could find. He had a whole box for them, and we spent about two years just kind of debating through them, discussing them for hours and hours at length. Um, and in that process he learned that Mormonism had a lot of things to say about stuff that his Christianity could <clears> not answer. And at the same time, he was he was researching for himself the early Christian church and realized it's quite different to the Pentecostal evangelical sort of world he was in um, and a bit more formal in a way, in, in a way a bit more Mormony. 
Um, so all of that came together. He eventually read the Book of Mormon, was converted and joined the church and his family kicked him out. Um, they've since healed that relationship. He went on a mission to Ireland. Um, we're still great friends and he he's just a wonderful guy in Portsmouth Ward. So for me, that was a, a really very affirming epiphany about Mormonism as a religion, that um, this religion has stuff to say. And you can take a really humble, you know, but open-minded, knowledgeable, born-again Christian, and we offer him something he didn't feel he had. Um, and there's stuff here. And I learned so much from wading all through all the anti-Mormon stuff about my own faith. And where its weaknesses and strengths are in lots of ways not all of it was accurate we now find of course in the sense from the apologetic defensive point of view um but it was a wild experience but then very soon after that sort of very affirming process um a lot of things started to unravel um we <clears throat> started to subscribe to sunstone magazine which i'd come across i think um where uh, at the end of my mission i sort of spent I discovered it in Logan Library in Utah, staying with one of my missionary companions. Um, did a sort of photocopy feeding frenzy. This is the, before did everyone had a phone on their camera and you had to pay 15p a photocopy. Um, and we, and mum and I subscribed. And I didn't realize mum had always been a radical. She was secretly subscribing to Exponent 2, which is the sort of the feminist Mormon newspaper. Um, and this gave us a window into a world we had no idea existed. Or maybe my parents had encountered it a bit at BYU, which was there's these intellectual Mormons. They talk about stuff. They discuss things. There's news. There's Mormon news, you know, because we never this is all before the Internet or just when the Internet was getting going in the early 90s. Um, and very quickly, the September 6th thing happened these intellectuals, these scholars, some of them teaching at BYU, were excommunicated in a purge by orchestrated by Apostle Boyd K. Packer to silence them because they were telling too much honesty about the history of the church, was the bottom line for most of them, and daring to talk about Heavenly Mother and such awful things. Um, and I, so I learned very quickly that actually I'm on a team the, the leadership of my church, the ecclesiastical leadership of the church, are punishing people like me, people who've done what the church told us to, get an education, be passionate about Mormonism, learn about its origins, care about what it's doing now, look at the bigger picture of its place in the world. Um, and they declared war on us. And we've heard later that Boy K. Packer basically declared war on on feminists homosexuals and intellectuals these were his his big enemies of the modern age um and so that started to kind of adjust my relationship with with the church you know a lot of the trust started to waver in that sense so i'd always been a bit skeptical which you know i'll speak up if i think something's nonsense but um but then uh you know fast forwarding a bit i think the real uh, trust crisis for me came with the November policy. So I was already starting to get into the internet a bit, start to become informed that the church history narrative we'd all been told wasn't quite accurate. I was slowly encountering groups online. Um, Infants on Thrones were doing a lot that was very intellectual and analytical as well as hilarious um, during that time. Discovered Mormon stories. 
you know, subscribing to Sunstone magazine and then their um, online presence and slowly getting the confidence to go further. Um, but when they turned on the children and said that, and it wasn't even well written, the November 2015 policy, it didn't make sense. It was saying basically, if you were a ch had a parent who was cohabiting in a same-sex relationship or had ever cohabited, it had a past tense, which there was no caveat like, but they've since joined the church or repented or not living that lifestyle, just who had ever, you're contaminated forever. Um, they These children would not be allowed to be blessed, baptized, ordained, go to the temple, anything until they were 18 until they were legal adults but they still had to move out of their gay parents home or parent who had ever in the past cohabited in the same-sex relationship and then apply to the first presidency for permission to be baptized it was insane it contradicted um articles of faith scriptures everything the ethics that the church had always had in the past of if you've got children whose parents aren't living the, the perfect Mormon lifestyle, you hold them close, you love them. And that just broke my any hope of trust in these people. So from then on, I was kind of on a quest. What has gone wrong? Who's responsible? And can we fix it? Um, Peter, before we, we talk about, about what, yeah. what mm. that quest looked like and where it brought you to, um, mm. our Mormon freedom theory, Lynn Bleakley, um, you what are you experiencing you you're a convert right what was uh, yes. your mormonism like well well um my mum was a convert and i was of a, a child convert then so i think i was about three years old when my mum joined the church um i think some missionaries had come to the school and were doing like a music evening like a, almost like a family home evening type thing and open big open family home evening and they invited loads of people along really oh my gosh there's no sense of boundaries back then <laughs> and then my mum had the discussions and and uh, joined the church so yeah i was uh, i've all kind of i was so young that i was um kind of like in the church from childhood so um and uh i kind of stayed active in the church until my teenage years when I had a little bit of a Mormon freedom fairy flit <laughs> around and just did what I wanted and um, uh, you know living life learning being a teenager um, so church really wasn't a place that I felt comfortable being at church on a Sunday when I was doing things that kind of contradicted what I was listening to on a Sunday and then it was a bit boring <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah um but, but then I I was um living my life um I was a single parent I, I fell pregnant and as a teenager and had my son Jordan and then um, went to live in Portugal for a couple of years and um, it was while I was in Portugal with Jordan's dad um, 
that I kind of got a bit bored with life there. And um, on a visit to the UK, um, every time I'd visit the UK, I'd stay with my mum and practically the the missionaries were around practically every day for dinner. Coincidentally. Know, coincidentally, you know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, um, they invited me to a baptism. I got kind of friendly with a couple of them. They invited me to a baptism and then the, started my journey back to the faith and that was a, a bit of a, a like everything that I do I do it fast and furious if I can I sleep <laughs> so you or fast so you know so what, what's your yeah. Mormonism like <laughs> then Lynn at that point so so when when you're back and you're all in back right what's what's that like mm. for you are you are you seeing any of the problems that Peter was seeing? How how nuanced are you? Tell us a little bit about that. Not not nuanced at all, really. <laughs> at all. Not in any way. I was absolutely um blinkered. I remember saying to my mum, I remember reading the Book of Mormon um from cover to cover in a couple of nights and my mum had given me this blessing which was given to us um, by our patriarch but it wasn't a patriarchal blessing but it was a blessing that he gave us when we had immigrated from the UK to well we tried to immigrate to the USA um, and he had given the whole family a blessing and my mum had recorded that and written it down so she was giving me this and you know um all happy that I'm coming back to church I read the book on Mormon from cover to cover and I remember saying to her oh you know kind of like oh duh, how stupid was I that I've had this in my life you know all my life and I haven't seen it for what it is you know I really had a big kind of almost like a Pali P. Pratt who read the book of Mormon really quickly and was converted yeah real deep experience that was my Mormonism was then I was all in and every moment of every day was focused on I I, I was um I was about 21 22 and um obviously I wasn't seminary age um but I did all the seminary I got all the manuals I got everything that I could get hold of I got all the videos and everything and just it was just a consuming anything Mormon and um it was a deep conversion without any nuance really it was quite harsh because then I left I left uh, Portugal and left Jordan said so it was really black and white mm -hmm. for me yeah. um so um I told Jordan's dad that I wanted to go back to church and he wasn't happy with that situation but he was okay with it until <laughs> until I was reading the gospel principles or uh, gospel essentials manual and I came across the law of chastity chapter and I was like oh yeah there's that <laughs> oh whoops <laughs> I forgot about this law of chastity thing Awkward. so yeah I told him about that and he and he he kind of he wasn't in with that and uh that was kind of like the beginning of the end for us um so yeah where I was I was all in yeah and that so was tough on him he's a lovely with, guy he's a really nice man and yeah. um so that was quite 
hard for him to sort of cope with that sudden change. Yeah. I mean, that, that's... Yeah, that's that really so harsh. That's but I was very like... cool that, you know, looking back that you that you guys still clearly have, mm. a, have a good relationship. So where, where do your stories intersect then? So it's, uh, how do you mm. how do you meet? What, what does that look like? I feel like I'm just taking your story back here so far because there's things that I haven't heard about this yet and it's yeah, really no, it's cool. You're welcome. This is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so I got married in my yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I got married in my mid twenties, uh married the daughter of the bishop <laughs> in a nearby ward, um, who was also a single mum. And we were married for I don't know, I keep forgetting how long. Uh, oh, I don't know. Ten or twelve years, married in the temple. Um and it's very good for the first few years um we had some real difficulties when her son who i adopted had some major health issues and it kind of put a lot of psychological pressure and crisis on all of us really um and she um became disillusioned with the church and stopped attending um and eventually wanted a divorce um and my attitude was do what you like love you know i'm not i'm not here to tell you what to believe or anything so I was, wow. it was never like because she was inactive that that was the problem that wasn't the reason although i think it might have been the fact of her that i was still sort of sticking with it still um and so that was difficult um but we you know we got my son through to 18 mostly intact <laughs> he's a good kid um and um so then and and i'd got to know lynn sort of socially at church dances and things she was in the same stake and we'd have a little chat every so often and i'd always forget your name and um uh and her son jordan who must have been like well a young teenager initially obviously um so i got to know jordan a bit actually when we did i was in young men's leadership and we had a camp and so <laughs> i finally got to know the the kid we were always talking about um so anyway after i um after that divorce um my resolve was definitely cannot marry a single mother it's too messy there's so much back you know baggage and history and complications and all the rest of it so do not make that terrible mistake again um and and sort of hi i'm on the marriage market again maybe i don't know what's going on um, we then got match made by a mutual friend who'd moved to my ward. And this is Peter's recollection. Yeah. And Lynn, Lynn phoned me up um, and asked why I hadn't asked her out yet. And um, so I said, well, that's very remiss of me. And um, so agreed to a double date with her friend and her fiance um and put the phone down and then ran from one end of my tiny flat to the other screaming because I, this is you know i'm too polite to say no to the single mum you know but um it's like no i'm not meant to be doing this it's all a disaster what was i thinking um but lynn was obviously amazing and lovely but you know um been there before and um so we had the day it went bowling didn't we you came as a cowgirl with like your cool boots and jeans and everything. Fortunately, she was in the loo when I actually fell flat on my back on the bowling alley, which was good. She missed seeing that <laughs> spectacle. Um, and then we had a follow up date in Canterbury. It was winter, wasn't it? It was like January or something really cold. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Too much detail, darling. And um, 
<laughs> and um and lynn made the dreadful mistake she's never repeated since of spending longer in the second hand bookshop than i did um so it's like oh she likes books <laughs> she now hates my books with a passion um and uh so it's like oh there's there's potential here obviously she can cope with the archive um and but no we really clicked and um was it on that date that we had the the talk yeah second day we we went to some cuban restaurant and we sat no i know but we're, we can practice for that and um we we laid it all out because in the church where you're you know people often talk about how it's all about marriage you know it's not like just having fun and having a relationship and so particularly when you're older and at our age you don't mess about you, you haven't got time to invest in a relationship that hasn't got a chance of going somewhere so we just had this very long brutally frank conversation about our entire lives and lay, laid nearly everything on the table second date um None of us ran screaming from the building. So it's like, okay, right, we got that bit out of the way. Um, and um, yes. And Lynn, your so version. Lynn, your version. Yeah, go on. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> much shorter. <laughs> well, basically, we knew each other from church. Um, we were like in youth, around each other in youth and young single adults. I remember. Peter getting married first time um, and uh, I don't think I came to your wedding I did no. get an invitation but I didn't go to to his first wedding and um, and then I was a single parent in the church for 16 years on my own which is tough which really was hard. yeah I can tell oh, how then. tough it is darling thank okay. you very much <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it was in a family orientated church. So um, that's a lot of my kind of, uh, there was a big disturbance in the force for me because of that, that experience of being in the church as a single parent and the reject, the constant rejection because I was uh, chewed gum, such lollipop, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, and uh yeah, so I, I knew that Peter was interested in me at some of the dances. He'd talked to me. He'd, he'd forget Jordan's okay. name. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly remember your name. That's yeah, you remember my name. Because I'm a teacher. I have no memory for names left. It's all been used up. And um, excuses. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I knew that he was interested in me, but he was just like dragging it out for some reason. Um, and um, so my impatience got the better of me and I phoned him and said, well, what, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> Why haven't you asked me out yet? Come on, let's get with the, the programme here. And um, yeah, we went on a date. And uh, didn't we got married pretty quickly, I guess. Well, we were going to be sensible. We wanted to be we married like, before we turned yeah, 40. We were about to turn 40, so like, we want to get married while we're still in our thirties. Yeah. <laughs> no, thirty-nine. <laughs> so, so we ended up marrying the following summer. Yeah, and August, I thought that I was marrying a Peter Priesthood. You know, mm. uh, it soon became royalty, darling, Mormon royalty. I'm a bleak. <laughs> it soon became apparent that that um, 
that I wasn't marrying, you know, what I, my ideal Peter Priesthood looked like, you know, someone that prayed together as a couple and did all of those really horrible, cringy, culty Mormon things, <laughs> like interviewing your children, mm. praying yeah, together, yeah. you know, every day and every night and fasting together and reading his scriptures together. And I mean, that's great, but it, the way that I imagined it was in a very deeply Mormon, squeaky clean way. Yeah. So what what, what happens then? Because you so you guys mm. have got from you know really what the ideal Mormon couple and th this cool mm. version of it because you have a you have a blended family now. How do you get from Peter? I get your experience where um, mm. there is this event that's a problem. Um, what about mm. you, Lynn? How where do where do you first start experiencing? concerns or challenges to your faith was peter the challenge to your faith was it was yes, it peter? basically yeah 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 let's get to the let's get there quick yes peter was not necessarily you know i can think for myself and in hindsight i can look back and i can see moments of sheer frustration um with church um structure church doctrine um church teachings the damage that it is was did to me personally um so i can look back now and see those things differently we we have a brilliant comment from david who um officiated at your wedding and said it was the best wedding he's ever officiated at <laughs> Okay, keep going, Sorry. keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, we did have a large uh, attendance at our wedding because we were older, obviously. Mm. We had a lot of friends. You know, my suggestion is there are pluses for getting married early because then you oh. haven't built up this massive friend group that you, you need to then invite to the wedding. Well, we just wanted everyone to celebrate with us mm. because it had been so long, you know, for, for me to wait to get married. Um, so a mere 300 guests and a Kaylee band and that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you guys had a Kaylee? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, of course. Oh, super. So, okay. I mean, our wards were amazing. They really pulled out the stops to, to set up Hastings Chapel and, and bring chairs at the last minute and just loads of people rallied around. And just as we'd done for them and their families and everyone in the ward, you know, I think that's a wonderful thing about the church in Britain particularly is we 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 do great weddings you know we rally around and help and support and yeah and so make it an event that you wouldn't normally be able to afford for a lot of people yeah, yeah so we just wanted every yeah. everyone just wanted to celebrate with us because mm. i think a lot of people had seen the pain that i had been through you know i'm mm. quite an open book really so a lot of people yeah. had seen that so a lot of people wanted to celebrate um that so yeah so my my um I think being married to Peter, my expectation, you know, my expectation about how a Mormon couple should should be 
that was all kind of blown up in smoke. <laughs> oh, it's a crushing disappointment. I find that really interesting, though, you guys, because you'd had the experience of doing it on your own, Lynn, and swimming against the tide in Relief Society, I imagine, and sitting through all of those lessons about this is the ideal, this is the ideal. And then you 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 get in inverted commas the ideal, not to, to dish you, Peter, mm. but you, the experience of the ideal. It's not it's not you, Peter. Um and, and, me, and don't worry. I'm okay with that. Your your responses it isn't all that it's cracked up to be, which is the reality. And that's what's never spoken about openly, which is for most women at church, however lovely the guy is, you kind of go, well, I'm waiting for the wonderful to come. I'm waiting for yeah. this, this fantastic thing to come because it is all just nicely lit ensign cover sort of pictures, isn't it, of what... what mm. um, this eternal marriage looks like, but actually the reality is just regular relationship. Yeah, and you'd think I would have learned, which because I'd had experience of you know being on my own for so long. So there was a lot of fasting, there was a lot of prayers, there was a lot of effort, there was a lot of going to young single adult activities, single adult activities. Um, there was a, a lot of well, what am I not doing? to earn the reward to earn this reward you know yeah. this equation this equation is not working you know um you know the lord says if you do what he says then you know you the will get the, the promise is yeah. guaranteed but yeah. you know so and then of course it's all my fault that that's not happening but so during that that um experience and lots of prayers and and uh, i remember just like having a light bulb moment one day just thinking what 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 am i worrying about if i'm gonna have a celestial marriage which was some of the teachings i had kind of held on to was that if i hang in here in the eternities well i am going to get a husband Right. So then I'm going to have a celestial marriage. I'm going to have this wonderful ideal thing. So why am I hankering after a, a mortal marriage here right now kind of thing? And this light bulb, in this light bulb moment that kind of then got me through some more years because I was like, well, yeah, because I'll, I'll just get a celestial marriage. You know, I can I can wait kind of thing. <laughs> but um yeah. Also very impatient. But I'm also very <laughs> <impatient>. <laughs> yeah. Imagine you waiting to so, death for anything. <laughs> so you'd think I would have maybe kind of figured it out beforehand, you know, that the reality of um uh, an earthly marriage was not gonna be everything I thought it was gonna be that you read in the books, it's not gonna be this ideal Mormon experience. You know, with lots of kids and you know all this lovely spiritualness and a grief for a, a loss attached to that realization that you know, or was it a freeing realization? Was was it a good thing? Well, at that time, it was a comforting realization. Right. It was a okay. Well, don't worry that I haven't got it now. What? what kind of what am I worried about why do I want this inferior 
circumstance when I'm going to have the top notch, mm. you know, celestial kingdom marriage in the eternities. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. we can't okay. hear you. You're muted. <laughs> no, we've still got you muted. Maybe log out and come back in again, Sarah, because it might be an audio mm. issue um, with your connection. We'll we'll try that. Um, no, so, what's it like for you guys as you so so as you get to November? Um, are, are you an all-in yeah. Mormon, um, both of you? Um, when when November happens? Um, I, th I think I'm already somewhat nuanced and skeptical um, and aware of because that was that, like 2015 was like five years after our marriage. Yeah. Um, so I'm starting to learn more and so on. And be, but again, for me, that wasn't any different. This is just, you know, it's new. It's increments, but it's kind of more of the same. Um, what I had seen was you yeah. like as being an observer of your journey mm. that you would um trying you know apologetics you were seeing mm -hmm. people around you um uh, Stephen Bloor for mm -hmm. example and other people like that reaching out to Peter for answers other friends our friend who's on the on the um the uh, podcast tonight Dave reaching out and asking Peter questions because Peter's very well read you know as he said he would have sunstone and all of these things and be very nuanced and uh, very knowledgeable so many people would reach out to him so he was trying his hand at apologetics in in many yeah. ways that's for, that's how i yeah it. and always trying to be not not deny the problems yeah. but just fight, offer enough to hold on you know or or whatever but um but it's that's certainly problematic though. yeah but that was certainly the period where the blog and was getting going properly and people were starting to drop like flies like people were leaving our peers were getting very disillusioned with things people we'd served in bishop ricks with and really started presidencies and all the rest of it were just starting to leave or, or lose lose their trust in these leaders for completely valid reasons um and that that was the real motivator to again to, to be the rescuer, I guess, to try and fix things or, or work out what's going on and what why because we'd grown up with this trajectory of incredible growth, you know, and it wasn't yeah. illusionary in Britain. While everyone, while the rest of the country lost its religion, Mormonism grew, and a, a lot of people of our generation now talk about this kind of golden age of the late 80s, early 90s, when we were far enough away from the racist segregation. And before the real modern pharisaical clampdown, where you still had a wonderful, vibrant social life in the church, they still had activities committees, you could have an entire youth and, and young adult life that was all socialising Mormons, mm. and you were having way more fun than your secular friends, because you just met so many more people, you had more stuff to go to, you, you, were, you weren't coming home reeking of cigarettes and unconscious because of the alcohol, um, with basically war stories to tell. It's just we had a great time and we carried on having a great time. And after the dance, we went to McDonald's and carried on talking and met these lovely people. Not, I was so drunk by that point, I don't remember what happened from then on. So we were having a, a high quality of life in a community that seemed to be global, multiracial, multicultural, inclusive in lots of ways. 
Um, because this was still a time where the real distinctions around LGBTQ people and, and other things in the church and the rest of society, the separation hadn't really become obvious. Um, and it, it, you know, it was it was thrilling. It was all very positive. So I think there was a lot of momentum still into the two thousands from that experience. Um, so, but Peter, I think we we actually had. Uh, an, uh, sorry, I was just going to say. Yeah. A, I'll put a point in in it and come back. That when we were trying to get a clearance for us to be sealed in the temple, that was an early eye opener for us mm. of some major dysfunctions, which I can go back to in a minute. But go on, yes, your question. Oh, was, I was just going to say yeah. because. I, I completely understand where you're coming from because active mm. members, as active members, we're doers. We 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 are the ones that just go, what needs doing? We'll make it happen. We'll we'll put the tables up. We'll cook the dinners. We'll we'll, we'll do everything that needs doing. We make mm. it happen. We make the fun happen. We bring it with us, and it's such a vibe, and it's so brilliant. Mm. But isn't it interesting that when your friends turn to you for? Um, support and answers that you still feel like you need to fix the problem you need to be the answers mm. and you get mm. punished for doing that you don't get punished for putting up the trestle tables mm. and, and hosting a wedding for mm. 300 people but you get punished for trying to find the answers to yeah. the problems yeah. that the church mm. has created with its own narrative of its own history because it's when you talked in the beginning about anti-Mormon literature that's the same literature that is now proven to be truthful narratives and truthful history of the church yeah. that the church just tried to obfuscate I'm sure there's some nonsense in there as well but but the majority of it was actual facts that the church is now not only admitting to but quietly sliding into the the you know the records of the church so that the next generation down yeah thinks it's always been there how how does it feel mm. to be castigated for being a doer and a fixer when it comes to the the facts of the of the church mm. well for me I think that that moment already came when they fired the September 6th yeah. um, because these are people doing what the church told them to do and this is the thing that the church raises people who are very literate, very educated and informed about their history. Unfortunately, half of it's totally inaccurate, but they've been introduced to thinking about history and learning about it from a young age, studying the scriptures intensively in seminary between 14 and 18. You really if you're if you're nerdy with it, you massively internalize a lot of information and you get a, quite a maturity in your understanding of scripture and the values that the scriptures are teaching and to then find out that your church or start to notice that your church is not practicing those core values and that it punishes you for becoming like a god for learning for the glory of god is intelligence for losing the fearlessness that a lot of the more enlightened leaders in the past used to have who were intellectuals who were scientists like um hubie brown john a witso talmage um, and and I later found out who had personally mentored my family that um, when my great grandmother, Jeannie Bleakley, joined the church, she lived in Ceylon. And so she was doing Mormonism by correspondence. She was the only member in Ceylon for years. But the Witsos particularly reached out to her. He was an apostle and a scientist and an educator. And so the materials they were sending her were very intellectual, very pro-science. Her son was a GP. A doctor um and you know knew gordon b hinckley while he was serving his mission in london um 
my granddad so um that that was something that that was fundamental to the mormonism i grew up with and and i didn't know that hardly anyone else was experiencing that or those who did quickly got wiped out of the church during these purges and during this beginning of hostility to intellectuals so it is a yeah, huge injustice yeah things they were yeah. they didn't even factor on my radar until yeah. i was married to yeah. peter and and, and no, learned about yeah. them and i think yeah I, I think if if anyone's going to be called a lazy learner, it's me. <laughs> well, can, can I, 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 I can never sat Lynn, I never sat Lynn down. Yeah, I never sat Lynn down and said, right, Lynn, you need to know this stuff. I mean, obviously, when I started posting things in Facebook, she could read it and she heard me podcasting hmm. and all of that. I knew that as soon as Lynn actually got her head around the scale of lying <laughs> and, and theft, and charity fraud and everything else going on, she'd be off like a whippet. I'm like, yeah. she would not need persuading. You know, she'd overtake me in her hostility to this mess, um, which has indeed occurred. Um, so I, in a sense, I was I didn't need to try and bring her along. She worked yeah. it out for herself, you know. So what, um, what got you excommunicated mm, then? And not yeah, just what so, got you excommunicated, mm, why did it get you excommunicated? Mm. So what did you do? Mm. And uh, because most people, if they're experiencing um, mm. a bit of a disconnect between what is being taught and what's being experienced, they, in the UK, probably around the world, they just leave, right? So you could have just left, mm. yeah. but that's not oh, yeah. how you've been mm. taught. You're you're fully engaged. You know that you can make a difference. Mm. Um, so mm. why did you get excommunicated? Why do you think I got excommunicated? Well, just before you go off on like 10 minutes of <laughs> story, <laughs> um, I could sum it up in a couple of words. He's too gobby. <laughs> He's... <Potty> mouth. <laughs> He's too gobby. That's what it is. He can't, he can't, um, you know, it's to be commended, it, it, you know, that he will speak up when he sees injustices. And he will fight for that. Lynn, Lynn so, were, you, were you worried, Lynn, around this time when you saw Peter being very vocal and speaking up and podcasting oh, yeah. and talking? Were you what, what sort of worries and fears and concerns did you have at that time? There were, there were arguments. There were arguments between the two of us. Um, my, my immediate reaction to... Um, the things that I would hear him say, like he would listen to conference and he'd shout at the TV. In the end, like I, I didn't want to listen to conference. You know, I'd be like, oh no, I don't, I don't want to listen to conference because he'd be shouting at the TV, you idiots. And I'm like, you cannot call a prophet of God an idiot. <laughs> um, You know, I was a typical defensive reaction. You know, yeah. it, it would really make me super super uncomfortable and was some of, the things that he said was some of that defensive Lynn, because of all the things that we've been taught about eternity and eternal consequences if we call the prophet an idiot and things like that was that some of the worries that you had at that time yeah i think it was just um I think you could probably see just from what, what we've discussed so far that, you know, our types, you know, I'm a bit of a black and a white 
person so it's either this or it's not and um kind of logical um and so i was firmly in the camp of you know faith and trust full blown yeah mormon faith and trust and yeah and and the fear of of that all come crashing down it, it, it's so the the tentacles reach out into every aspect of your life don't they so if that one thing breaks you know then the rest come tumbling down and so yeah there's the fear of that there's yeah. the fear could, of, could we oh maybe gosh. address this this fantastic comment david's um you, all of your comments are so appreciated this one is just beautiful um and and you talk about how peter on the one hand is calling out leaders um compared to, you, you use the word cowardly exiting um, at an appropriate moment. And it's not cowardly. It's not cowardly no, at all not. because um, so many people just realise I'm talking to a brick wall. The church isn't going to change. There is no point of this. Whereas Peter and people who are staying and trying to engage, it, it's it's right for you. I really relate, Lynn, that <clears throat> even today, um, you know, using, using the words, lie hypocrite um peter the stuff peter says makes me feel like i'm going to have a nosebleed because um <laughs> a bit because that's what i was living with jane like right? every day you imagine hearing that every day yes. you know yeah and and we and i you know we, we've been through this this whole journey at, you know at your side and how many times have you know, we had the conversation around you could just tone down your language and it may be better received perhaps yeah. So, talk, yeah. so talk a little bit about that why you were yeah was why you were yeah well yeah i was absolutely right. tone policed out of the church like very specifically which is quite interesting um yeah so i mean what i was doing was i started post simply posting in facebook you know i was i was participating a lot in all the the comment the groups in social media and commenting because most mainstream members don't see any of that I started to post in Facebook my concerns. I'd share, you know, these these things are wrong. This is immoral. This is, these these are lies. These people are lying, um, and I was saying it how it is. Mm. And the church has a very hyper vigilant culture of tone policing the language you use for anything, mm. for prayer, for talking about stuff. Yeah. You, women particularly can't be strident or passionate. You have to use primary voice and look demure and apologize for having your opinions or men won't listen to you. Um, and um, so I just rode the wave of what tiny bit of male privilege I had and said it anyway. Um, and and this started to be noticed because a lot of people in my Facebook friends in my ward and in my extended family and in, in, around the place. Um, I'd love to know what conversations are being had. I know that my, my parents were being talked to on the back you know room sort of chatter and other things like that occasionally i've got little glimpses of it well they were basically terrified that i was going to break people's testimonies uh, which is always the thing with there's this threat of contagion but if peter who has some mormon cred and is kind of respected as informed and usually seen as a bit of an authority or knowledgeable is saying these things the the the, the fallout could be catastrophic you know i think was their fear um and so i i i it took me a while to calm down enough to have 
reasonably calm conversations. There'd be long, intense ones with my church leaders, poor things, bless them, my poor state president. Um, uh, but I, I mean, I, if I think of one example of how I was just shocked at how blatant suddenly the leaders were being in their lying. Um, when Dallin Oates did his and um, Dallin Oates and, and Ballard did a face to face, they started doing these face to faces with the young people where they'd pretend to answer questions they hadn't heard before and already vetted. Um, and it was remarkable because they were speaking off the cuff and they always give much more away about themselves than their very carefully written and scripted general conference talks, although those in themselves are very revealing anyway, if you look at them. Mm -hmm. And that started to be my thing to actually pay attention to what they're saying and be like, did you guys all hear that apostle there lie, contradict Jesus? and set fire to what we thought was Mormonism in general conference in front of all your faces. Like, did any of you just hear that? Because I did. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not alone because Dave Silsby in the state presidency is hearing this and becoming very concerned. And all these other people are. Are you going to notice that this is not acceptable? And people weren't noticing uh, somewhere and they'd leave, obviously. But you're still dealing all the time with the institutional solidarity of the TBMs and the leadership at church. Um, and Ballard in this said, the leaders of the church have never hidden anything from anybody from the beginning of time, sweeping generalization. And he and Oakes are experts and know what they're talking about. And he just given the example of the 1832 first vision that was hidden for decades in a safe by the apostles of the church to hide it from us as an example of them being open and honest because it mm. eventually got published after someone let slip it existed um and i mm. sat down my poor parents and i had this uh, it must have been on my computer and i just wanted them to listen to this and and hear this blatant lie but I was so livid, I kept stopping it every 20 seconds to be like, and then he said this, look, and then this, and, and I couldn't contain myself. My dad just, will you let us just listen to the thing, you know, and process it in our own time frame. But I, I, I was so angry because it was a complete betrayal of everything. Rationality, our religion, everything my parents had taught me to value about honesty and so on. It was just there, an apostle doing it in front of the kids, you know. Oh, but just maddening, yeah. You know, you did, you did all the posting. You did, mm. um, you speak up at church and things like that. Mm. But um, in the early days, even like those situations, I would try and um talk to peter about well no you're twisting his words you know you are not seeing what he's that's not his intent you're seeing it this way because that's your paradigm now you know i'm i'm trying really hard to you know not think the same way mm. as he was thinking and i guess i was i was still seeing it with mm. fairly mormon eyes um, and the feedback always so, was exactly what you said, Jane, you know, the, P, the TBMs are not going to listen to you unless you tone down the language. They can't cope mentally with hearing their prophet called a liar. You mm. just can't do that if you're mm. thinking you're going to get through to them and be persuasive, mm. which was was, you know, a fair point. Well, so there were other experiences yeah. of of Peter giving a talk and 
saying things that were not the right words not the right tone mm. um the wrong angle to things not the positive mormon angle so he's talking about efy and he's talking about mm. you know oh yeah we uh, nearly got run out of cornwall yeah, I so, about that. so we he he got threatened basically and this was a re- that was a real eye-opener for me mm. that a bishop oh no you have to this you have to take us into their story <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so, so, so I'm in early rage phase. My my sister's ward in Halston in Cornwall, very traditional ward, really lovely, good people. But they'd been through really a trauma. Didn't need the room. I though. did not read the room. They're 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 well, I sort of did. Well, um, and didn't care. Their bishop Bloor, um, who is now like one of the major or became one of the major sort of anti Mormons in Britain, um, had had his own faith deconstruction while serving as Bishop of Helston Ward. And he hadn't ever heard about Joseph Smith's polygamy among many other things. I actually challenged him on this. So when he first started talking about it online, I said, are you kidding? Surely you must have known you're a Bishop, you know, it's in somewhere in the curriculum. And he said, no, it isn't. And so I took the challenge and he turned out to be right. I found like one really obscure reference in some institute manual somewhere, but he was right. You could grow up in the church and be a bishop for years and have no idea Joseph Smith had more than one wife. I mean, it was extraordinary. So they he left it's the church very dramatically. It? It, was, it, that's what it comes down to. It's yeah. just deceptive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he was quickly excommunicated he it was very traumatic for this poor wards and lots several people left over it so i got asked to give a talk in because we'd go and visit my sister there and and you know they just wanted speakers someone different to give a talk so i was invited to give a talk so i gave a talk and this was around the time of the um i think of the november policy something like that and i was talking about christians versus pharisees you know which became the theme of my podcast how you know, we have two versions of the religion. You can be obsessed with rules. And I actually held up an EFY poster. This is the early days of FSY for the strength of youth when they're pioneering it in Britain. And it had very clear diagrams of what clothing was acceptable for the young men and the young women at this event. And I just said, you know, this is the Phariseeism here. And I kind of flung it behind me. Have you ever seen that at pulpit? And that wasn't the thing that upset everyone. What even was it? Was it just saying that... Well, the bishop was sat there absolutely yeah. steam coming yeah. out of his ears, that Peter was... Daring to criticise the leaders. Daring to criticise. You know, saying you know, that they don't get this. everything right. They're not perfect, you know, and we have to be aware of this and kind of work around it. Um, so anyway, afterwards, one of the older, more sort of woke sisters quickly pulled me to a side um, uh, and she said, I loved your talk. Thank you so much. You're way ahead of your time. Um, you will never be allowed to speak in this ward again. <laughs> and um, and we, I think we had, did we have a conversation with the bishop or did we just no, escape? No, we escaped. I remember what yeah. happened. Right, so. Can I tell you an FSY story? So I was going to say, I, I had on. an FSY yeah. story over dinner last night from my daughters yeah. who are 26 and 22 now. And they yeah. said, head, shoulders, knees and toes, mum. And I That's said, it, yeah. I don't know what you mean. And they went, no, they do it on the stand at FSY. You put your arms above your head. And if you can see your midriff, the clothes aren't suitable. You've got to have your shoulders covered. 
And then you've got to have your knees covered because that's obviously going to set the boys off. And then you've got to touch your toes and they'll check to see if they can see the back of your knees at the back of your skirt. How humiliating, how sexualizing of women, how making women responsible for yeah. men's thoughts. It's just utterly, and they'll have them stand like cattle on a stage and do this like it's mm. a fun activity as part of mm. FSY. Mm. How is that strengthening youth? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. completely objectifying. And this women. is, and this, uh, and it's you know, sick. and sick. we're in our forties and fifties. So we know how many, yeah. We, we know that for decades, this church has invested thousands of man hours in raising children through primary and then thrown them away as youth because they came with, with some wrong haircut to a youth dance yeah. and were humiliated on the door by some pious, self-righteous twit who thought he was doing the world a favour by informing them they're immodestly dressed and yeah. sending them away. Yeah. Or some sister parent, ready to I'm... give them a cardigan to wear, you know. Yeah. And as a parent, I paid so, for my children to have that privilege. I, yeah. I, it just makes me I, Yeah, it's obscene. Yeah. And I mean, I think they're toning that down a little bit now, but not much. Really um, so, but yeah, so that's what I Since you're, yeah. you know, since we're talking about how you're being perceived, you're making the leaders nervous. Mm. Uh, you're talking mm. about the youth, and and that's something that's sacred territory there because yeah. we want to protect those people. Mm. We would you like to give more context to what kind of um, way you're being perceived? I believe you made a young woman mm. burst into tears at a particular. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. Event. So I mean, I'll I'll just finish the Cornwall story. <laughs> sure, first, sure. Yeah. So, so we're on the way. We're driving home that day after church. And before that. What? A lot happened before that. So oh, Peter go on. gave his talk. The bishop was steaming. Phoned to the family after later that day, and upset your sister because your mm. sister, you know. I think your brother-in-law was on the, the on bishopric. The bishopric yeah. So the bishop phones the yeah, other member Laura. of yeah. the bishopric and says, you you know, you're, you suggested that Peter speak and, you know, what, what were you doing? This was, uh, mm -hmm. this was terrible and it was wrong. So they're defending Peter and then ensues this, this battle, the battle lines are drawn, mm -hmm. then ensues this big family, um, not conflict, but discussion about, you know, your parents are worried that you were going to be kicked out of the church. You want to be careful what you say. And like but that. before that, just to interrupt, on, on literally driving home from Cornwall, the bishop phoned me. Yeah, well, that's after. And after he, no, 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 uh, it was. no, the well anyway either way and he just had to go he just said i don't know why he gave that talk what um if if you were in my ward i would be trying i would be trying to take your temper yeah no no it was not in person it was on the phone while we were driving away yeah sorry we're getting yeah. our facts we're gonna have the, the go for it domestic <laughs> domestic um we were there overnight yeah. During the Sunday, a lot okay. of discussion happened, yeah. a lot of to and fro in discussions with yeah. the bishop, where the bishop then, we're all, I'm, we're, we're, all, we're not talking directly to the bishop though. No, we no. weren't talking directly to bishop. He was but leaning he, on, on yes, our family But members. he threatened yeah. to take away your temple recommend. Yeah. So he was just being a bully. 
he threatened to yeah. take away Peter's temporary so he, recommender. Well, he, and then on uh, the journey home, he said he, he wanted, he was asking for Peter's state president's details so that he could contact his state president to take away his temple recommend. And mm. the family weren't really giving it up. Um, yeah. you know, he, he said that to me on the way home, like, like on the phone, you know, if you, he just said to me, if you're in my ward, I would want your temple recommend now sort of thing and so mm. on. And we were literally driving out of Cornwall. So it's like trying to get out of Dodge. It's like something from the Dukes of Hazzard. <laughs> you know, we're driving away. So I get away from these people. They're after our wow. temple recommends. <laughs> it's nuts. So, and and my mum's always been a bit more of a rebel. Um, sort of very keen, so very supportive in her own way of, of um, trying to change things and challenge the patriarchy and so on. But at the same time, fully indoctrinated with the fear. Yeah, but and even she is, was worried yeah, yeah. at that time. And the, oh, yeah, that very your much. temple recommend would yeah. take. No, absolutely. Away. And and it just that I mean, one of the things that's radicalized me is is seeing what it's done to my parents, that they they in their own way, mum quite vocal and feisty when she needs to be, dad always the quiet voice in the meeting, talking reason and fairness and justice. They're both, you know, very principled and willing to speak up in their own styles. Um, but the fact that I watched them so paranoid, so terrified that if I carried on saying these things, we'd lose everything. You know, my temple recommend would be gone. My priest would be gone. They're just the fear. And no, you can't say this. You can't speak up. You can't do this. And well, without a temple recommend, yeah. you are then your status is, yeah. is changed, isn't yeah. it? So without yeah. that, then you've not got your mm. celestial marriage. You've not got your this, that, that, that. And it all starts. The the, mm. the it's a huge power that they the hold. The house over of cards starts yeah. coming down, doesn't it? So over time, I was me. Just I'll try and be more succinct. So I started my my new state president, very woke, very supportive of LGBTQ people in lots of really significant ways. He was the one who finally actions something that have been brewing for a long time in our state to have proper safeguarding protocols and to insist on dbs checks and and safeguarding training of all of our um uh uh anyone working with young people and he made that so around the time i was advocating for the um uh protect every child campaign of sam young and he he allowed me to sort of have some input into that state policy as a teacher just from my perspective and training um bless his heart so he started meeting with me and he met with me for hours on end in a few meetings over over a few months he'd come to church and ask to speak to me and he'd listen he wouldn't always give her a lot away um not that obviously it's at all easy to get a word in edgeways when i'm in full flow and now I'd have handled those quite differently. I think I'd have been a bit more restrained and targeted. But I was trying to, I was new at this. I'm now much better at getting some simple points across quickly to state presidents I'm talking about. Yeah, I've got it down to only half an hour. Um, as we tried out on on Nemo's uh, state president recently, <laughs> bless him. Um, actually, that's more like 25 minutes. So I was quite proud. Um, but the poor guy. And what I'm trying to do is this banging the head against the wall thing you described, you know, that I'm trying, is there anything here that where they'll open their eyes and see what's in front of their own face? The fact that your stake, I'll keep saying this to him, you are not going to have a stake in five or 10 years. It will be gone. The children will be gone. 
you're losing your some of your best leaders because of this stuff because you're not educating them about the gospel topics essays you're perpetuating the lies you don't understand how bad it is when these people still tithing and 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 all of that and and he was actually quite a new member um which is one of the reasons for for some of his strengths in a way having a fresh look at things um he took a long time to join the church his wife was a member and um he'd been a bishop but but only really a member for 10 to 15 years before being state president um so i saw potential there you know um and just into he's an academic and a thinker and so on but ultimately what he could not handle um was me calling the leaders names he just couldn't cope with that he couldn't cope with me well i remember we must come back to something on the helston bishop so there's sort of an interesting postscript to that and make sure i do that um and it started to escalate i started podcasting I, while i was writing these huge thousands of words long posts for facebook and very not internet savvy technically I suddenly thought, well, I might as well just record it. I'll record this as a voicemail. No, it was as, just as a voice. Yeah, yeah, it, was she was yeah. Sick of reading your lengthy yes, things. Said, so she said, you "Oh, well, if you it. recorded it, I'll listen to it instead." <laughs> so I started posting that, and that then quickly evolved into the podcast, um, which was audio for a long time. And then John Delin challenged me to go video, uh, which was good, but it now takes three times as long to make an episode. But um, um, but because I was content and there just came this moment where he basically drew a line in the sand and said, if you continue doing this and don't take down these podcasts and your voicemail and everything, I will have to take action on the basis of the church's definition of apostasy, which means you're not allowed to criticize the leaders. You cannot at all publicly. Um and they've actually clamped down the definition of apostasy that you can you you can't speak against the church's leaders or doctrines or even policies now which means any tiny detail without any doctrinal significance they put in the handbook a policy which we used to think was a lesser category and they'd use that as an excuse oh the racism was just a policy not a doctrine you know they'd use that as their fig leaf They've doubled down on it now under the influence of Oaks, I think, because he's taught this in conference. So it's probably him that there's in a church led by God. There's no difference between a doctrine or a policy. It's all infallibly the will of God, you know. Um, so there is no in their definition in the handbook. There is no escape for anyone. You cannot say make any kind of criticism of anything to do with the church. No doctrine, no policy, no leader without incurring automatic state president-led uh trial for apostasy um and he must consult with the area presidency when it's an apostasy case so he did that and they set a date for trial and this was at the tail end of covid um i wasn't backing down um by this point um i had already listened in to the recordings of john delin's excommunication and bill real and um ces guy what's his name sorry i'm having a name block jeremy reynolds, jeremy reynolds lovely guy just adorable mm -hmm. so brave so powerful and so i knew kind of what to expect in their trials they'd all had quite a strong emotional difficult period afterwards that was very hard for them um but because they shared that and talked through it 
I was prepared. I was like, right, well, I'm not playing that game. I'm, they're not going to break me. I will break them <laughs> or whatever, you know, or at least it's not going to happen that way. I will go to this trial in charge. I will say what I need to say. I want it to have the maximum impact because this thing only happens once. Um, and I will, I'm, I'm not, they don't have any power over me. I have no respect for their authority to somehow cancel my priesthood or, or anything like that. That's ridiculous. You know, who do they think they are? Especially when you're being told off for doing something the church taught you to become, which is mm -hmm. honest principles yeah. to, to actually love this religion and be, we're taught what to look out for. We're taught what apostasy is. We're taught in the temple what it is. In the temple, the, the religion of Lucifer is the one that hoards money. And you can buy anything in this world with money and power and influence and is obsessed with political power. In the scriptures and in the teachings of Joseph Smith, you know Lucifer's plan was control, telling people what they're allowed to think or not think, what they're allowed to read or not read, micromanaging every detail of their lives like the Pharisees did. And now the leaders of the church are doing everything the church taught me are the sure signs of Satanism, of Lucifer's religion. They're doing it. And so I'm going to say that I will call them Satanists because they meet all the criteria you taught me in seminary for an actual Satanist. They are it. They're doing it. And here's the evidence. And that's what my I podcast mean, was. It, um, it so that was completely blew the minds of any TBM. Yeah. You know? Um, so I insisted on the whole high council being there. So there's a good audience uh -huh. and lots of my friends there, which was actually a really positive experience. Um, and the trial happened after COVID lockdown eased yeah. off and we were able to have that many people in the room again. So that, yeah. that trial, um, we want to we want to mm. see the hat again. We, we have to see the hat. Uh, she's held up very well after this amount of time. Um, yeah, still shiny. What what I want to make, I guess, really clear is that it still makes me really nervous to, you know, or uncomfortable to mm. hear you use that terminology. I wouldn't excommunicate you for it, you know, because I completely hear mm. where you're coming from. And mm. it's it, surely it has to be OK that people have mm. um, those types of different views, um, no matter how extreme it sounds. Um I don't want anybody to get the impression, though, that you are taking this as anything less than, uh, you know, completely serious. This has been your life. This is th these are very mm. high stakes. Yeah. You um mm. you've prepared for it. You um, I mean, really, I think you you've been preparing for it for many years because you you've seen what happens oh, to yeah. people who speak out. Yeah. So I I knew it would happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So so take us up to um again what that's like for what mm. that process was like for mm. you, and then we'll move on to what it has looked like mm. since. Yeah. So um we Lynn did an amazing job making this. Thank you. Um, she taught me out of a whole outfit. I was going to have like a big red sequin something or other, like robes and and stuff. Like but, a wizard or something. Yeah, she taught me into just doing the hat. Um, because, uh, you know, the point was, this is a farce. It's theatre. It is political theatre in a sense. It's about a power clash. And, um, and it's, and that's a sort of, semi-jokes you know the covenants you're about to take away away from me were made wearing a, a costume in a, in, in a ritual so you know why not have a hat for this one too um 
and and just to kind of break the ice a little bit you know so I've always my thing has always been to be very intense and passionate and serious but also have a sense of humor you know to be a bit self-deprecating and it did give him a chuckle you know I just put it on for a bit at the beginning and then took it off you know um and and what was really cool was a lot of people there were people I've grown up with since I was a child you know I haven't flown far from the nest in the church here so I had people who loved me dearly and I loved them and we've been friends all our lives. You know, we did a whole primary and youth together. Um, and the state president very graciously allowed all of them to ask me any questions they wanted to. We had, you know, I, was, I didn't prepare the killer speech that was going to change the world. I just got, as, as I think Natasha Helfer and others found, the second you're in a public role in the bloggernacle and you've got an impending excommunication trial, all media hell brutes breaks loose you're talking about it you want an audience to come with you so you have to give a lot of time to keeping people updated i was posting about what was going to happen and what what my plans were you're in a sense you're you're like a politician dealing with constant journalistic attention because mm -hmm. you want to use that you want to communicate you want this to count you want this to be part of the narrative in a positive way to highlight and draw attention to the issues and the power imbalance in the church and how a power is being abused in how it's being used against you to try and silence you. And I wanted to kind of break all the rules of, you know, so I managed to say enough useful points in the time that I had. My surprise and disappointment in the response was that the state president just went on and on about the language I'd, I'd used. He he listened twice through hundreds of pages of material. Actually, he refused to listen, which is interesting. He would never listen to the audio, but he read the text of what of each of my episodes that I posted. Um, and he just sat there and listed all the, the rude words I'd used, all, all the insults, all the things, as if that's what my podcast was about not the like hour those were the quick light moments to try and alleviate the the boredom of hours and hours of evidence of truth of proof that these people had had messed up and were, were corrupt and were, were contradicting each other and themselves and the gospel that we'd been taught growing up um and so that was disappointing that in a sense he could never look past the tone policing they're also powerful and symbolic. This is how ridiculous this is. People can't engage with your actual ideas because they've been carefully trained. It's a brilliant cult tactic that they they can't hear past the words you're using to the message that you're giving. And of course, everyone had said to me, look, these people aren't going to listen to you unless you tone down the words. But to be honest, unless you're blunt with the words, they're not listening to you anyway. They're not going to understand there's anything wrong. They'll think they'll listen to you like they listen to general conference and not notice any problems. So you have to spell it out. Um, and that's me. I'm just being myself. Yeah. Do you think that did you ever think that they were there to listen to you? Or did you think they just were there yes. to the box and actually go through the um, process yeah. of, of excommunicating yeah, yeah. that decision was already made? Yeah. Yeah. What was very clear from the excommunications of those other three was it was a stitch up and they weren't there to listen at all or engage. Um, what was very different here was my state president had made, you know, quite a lot of effort to listen to me. I don't think he ever got much of it, but or well, actually, he was in many ways quite supportive. He said, you should write a book like I really agree with a lot of what you're saying. Write a book about it. You know, he wanted he was hungry for change as well, I think. But it just reached a point where. 
he was probably getting constantly called by people saying, why is Peter still able to say all this, which is completely forbidden in our culture, and you haven't done anything. So I think he must have come under incredible pressure to do something. He said he had, you know, he told me that. But he said, I will have, I will make my own decision. You know, he said he wasn't going to be swayed by that. He'd make it on the basis of his own judgments. Um, and it can be a personality thing. It's all leadership related in the church. Brilliant questions. Very spot on, really very relevant from him and his counsellor or his counsellors, at least, and the high and the high counsellors. So I gen I absolutely came out buzzing. I, I had been heard. I was able to make lots of the points I wanted to. Several of the high counsellors and uh, and I think the because I dragged it out a bit and bought some time by saying I want everyone there not just the state presidency I'd sent everyone links I'd explained exactly what the issue is I'd emailed all of them I could get addresses for they knew what the issues were they could listen to my episodes so several of them had they'd listened to the podcast couldn't ask for more than that and they nearly all of them said they agreed with pretty much everything I said in it so in that sense, it was very positive. And they had a long discussion afterwards. When we went out for a meal, and when we came back, they were still meeting and talking. I mean, they may have followed up with a high council meeting, but if they were talking about us, it went on for a long time. Um, I'd, I was also disappointed that I'd made very clear in the preamble and during the trial itself and reminded them before it, I was asking for answers to three questions and the state president refused to engage with any of them and the three questions were number one why have the, the first presidency appointed yeah. themselves with a, without a vote of the people number two why are they hoarding donations to humanitarian aid perpetual i was award clerk i've been shoveling this money into envelopes for years all of that money donated to these extra funds by the british saints were sitting in a bank account declared to the charity commission every year earning interest, none of it being spent on the, the the promised things. What's going on? I asked him repeatedly to find out what's going on with that. And the third one is, what's the right thing for an elder to do? I have made oaths in the temple to protect my people, to be a shepherd in Zion, the oath and covenant of the elders quorum of the Melchizedek priesthood, to, to be the watchman on the tower, to protect and build the kingdom at the cost of my life if necessary. Um, when I see that it is being destroyed, that my, my family and friends are leaving the church, not because of Satan, but because of what the leaders of the church are saying, you could say Satan, um, and that what they're doing, what's the appropriate thing to do? Do you shush and take it and have no ward in 10 years? Or do you say something? Do you talk about it? Do you try and promote change reform whatever it will take to save this thing and refuse to answer all of those um you know a few lame excuses of well when i've asked for money to charity efforts i've got it you know so it's okay i'm doing it right here or i'm teaching the youth about the gospel topics essays and i'm like yeah but you're not teaching the people judging me in gospel doctrine the adults have heard nothing about them and if i mention anything from them i'm the apostate one i'm the threat i'm the danger who needs to be silenced because you have failed to educate them, which mm. I also said to Nemo's state president. Um, so that was never addressed. I had the chance to appeal to the first presidency. So I sent a very short 26 page letter to them, yeah. reiterating the same points and a few others. Um, they, 
affirms the and refused to engage with those questions. So I was delighted because they, I made all the points I wanted to, mm -hmm. and I was able to share that. And we play, we used the system to the best, as best we could, you know. So once yeah. the once the result has has mm. once you've been notified of yeah. what the decision has been made, that decision was upheld. The the appeal was was they upheld the decision um mm. I, I want to ask uh ruth and sarah and then separately lynn um when when peter was excommunicated what did that do in uk mormonism what did it do for you guys personally because it was on your radar um did, did it help did you feel that the church was stronger or safer gosh no no, I, I think all it did was underline what we already thought we knew, which was the, that the church is scared of, of people vocalising their concerns and the church is scared of being held accountable, ironically held accountable. You know, all the, the character traits that, that we as active Mormons thought were commendable, the church as an organisation isn't doesn't doesn't hold as as important so integrity accountability honesty truthfulness um you know repentance all of those key character traits that we we thought we were drawing from the church it turns out we're part of us as people and the church as an organization is the bad place you know, mm. it, it really is. Mm. It, and I think when when Peter was excommunicated, I felt terribly, terribly sorry for you guys, because it is it's brutal. And it's it's a um, it's a horrific medieval sort of practice to to visit on someone's spirituality, isn't it? It's it's mm. cutting or it's an attempt to cut you off from your from your society and from your support and potentially, you know, your your eternities. It's an attempt to do that. Now, fortunately, there are enough people standing around, and I know when we're at Sunstone, I use this, this analogy with Nemo, which is, it's like cutting off Laban's head in the street, but we're all standing by watching now. And we're saying, go ahead, chop his head off, and we will witness it. And we will hold you accountable for your actions. You are not in a quiet street on your own here, have, you know, watching this brutality going on. Mm. There are bystanders and we see what is happening here. And, it, and it, it, you know, two years on, that's that's a whole mission, isn't it? You, you have served a mission in your excommunication now, Peter. Um, you know, it is. And, and have you spoken for truth? Have you borne your testimony as a, a missionary in excommunication? Absolutely, you have. Have you have you converted anyone to your side? Who knows? I don't think it's about that. It's about speaking up and speaking truth with integrity. And that that is what you have always tried to do. Whichever side of Mormonism you're sitting on, speaking, bearing testimony isn't about um, parroting the, the Mormon catchphrases to please the people, the powers at the top. It's about speaking from your heart and saying what you know to be true. And, and I think you do that and you carry on doing that, whatever the cost has been to you. And, and, and you know, that's commendable. Absolutely. Sarah, Thank you. What, was, what were your thoughts? Peter's excommunication had a profound effect on me for 
a long time before Peter had been excommunicated, maybe a couple of years, whatever, we'd all been meeting regularly online and doing Sunday school lessons, gospel discussions, trying to find answers, trying to support each other, trying to think about what was going on in this church. When, in all the discussions that were going on leading up to Peter's excommunication, for me, it was just, this church doesn't want to listen. This church is actually, and a takeaway comment that Peter made at one point at Sunstone a couple of years ago, when he said that actually church is a bit like North Korea, which is not the exact phrase, but he's like in the, the way the church carries on to North Korea. And when they excommunicated Peter, I just thought there's no room for truth. There's no people who want to speak truth to power and there is no room for anybody to be listened to and to be heard and to be allowed to have a faith journey of their own and questions and doubts without being pushed out without being silenced without being rejected without being seen as a problem mm. and it just made me feel that they were taken away somebody that I loved and cared about, somebody that I'd had gospel discussions with and had learned from and had cared with and wanted to be around in the Mormon scene. And that just because they felt their pride was being hurt and their power status was being threatened, they wanted to silence Peter and take him away. And that, that felt wrong. And I remember, along with a lot of other people, because I think many other people did, wrote letters and spoke up for Peter and wrote to his state president and said, actually, please don't excommunicate my brother Peter. I need him. Yeah. Um, we've, we've just lost Sarah's audio again um, while it settles down. She, so Sarah's had some problems with the power outage in her home tonight. So she's been in and out and has, um, has sent her apologies, which, of course, we don't need. But um, but we, we love you and we love your thoughts, Sarah. Um, I, I certainly remember saying that I, I didn't know if I was if my church activity was going to make it through Peter's excommunication. I was I found it mm. devastating. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still here apparently. Um, Len, what did it what did it do to you? Um, I think uh, the actual event uh, they actually let a woman speak. <laughs> they wow. gave me some time to speak, um, which was um, which was great. Um, I don't know how long they allotted me, but I don't usually take much time when I speak I kind of try and um, be succinct and I just basically said to them that they didn't deserve him you know that one of them had said during the meeting that um, that if Peter didn't like the church they, they if he didn't think you know if all these things were wrong then then he should go and make his own church and leave the church and my response to that was it's it's his church he he's yes. been brought up in this church it's his church why should he leave it and um that they did that my thoughts were that that they didn't deserve him they didn't deserve his brilliance his genius his 
<laughs> bigging you up now, darling. <laughs> no, but but you know, he, he puts his all into everything. He puts his heart into everything. And it, it was upsetting to me that that I, I, I get upset when I'm misunderstood. And I was upset for Peter that he was being misunderstood, that his intentions were misunderstood. And I went to the event um, because, you know, the actual meeting, the actual excommunication, because I needed them to know that I stood with my husband, that I stand with him in what he is saying and he is voicing um, what he's voicing is what I felt as well and many others felt um, and feel and yeah. so I, I needed them to know that that was my choice um, and um, you know that I stood with my husband and it was it was upsetting to again think of the fallout of that when when that line breaks uh when they they're not just doing that to him they're doing that to us they're doing that to me as well they're breaking a covenant they're breaking our temple ceiling mm. that's it now we are not sealed you know this this thing that i had waited for worked for for so long in the church and then um you know achieved this marriage this ceiling they they that's that's all that their choice was not just about what they were doing to peter and peter's apostasy their choice involved me as well um so those were some of my thoughts and feelings and um sorry you can ask a question yeah our og Brit avenger um alana um like the rest of the audience just who who love you guys um we always talk about how amazing peter is and it's absolutely true um and thank you for just yeah pointing that out again alana it i want to ask you peter to bring in the thing that that gets said at some point in the background after we've been speaking speaking about you we hear from Lynn, um, but Lynn has, has been a strength to so many people in so many different ways. And mm. obviously, because your story has been so high profile and, you know, you're, you're the person who has the podcast, you're you're the face in a lot of ways, the daddy of the Brit Avengers. Um, <laughs> tell me about what you feel about how your excommunication and how this whole process has affected Lynn. Um, I think it's been a huge sacrifice for her because all the time I'm doing all this stuff in social media and, and so on, I'm not being any use to her or at home. <laughs> and it, it's it, it's a big sacrifice. And, and it's one that she almost has no choice over because she loves and respects me. She knows she can't tell me to stop doing it in a sense and wouldn't do that, I don't think. Um, though, obviously, feel free to if you need to. Um, and... Um, so I th that's just a very generous act of love, which I do appreciate and and really powerfully. I've felt incredibly supported by her throughout. Um, I think I've, again, part of my motivation has been the harm that has been done to my wife, the pain that's there from what she experienced as a single mother and so on. 
and being dangled on a string, constantly promised guaranteed blessings if she paid tithing on her welfare support, if she prayed enough and went to the temple and did all the busy work for the church for free, promised these rewards, promised in her patriarchal blessing in particular, you know, married to peace to priesthood with children. Um, and all of that and the damaging harm of promising things you can't keep, you know, that you will betray the people who trusted you and your religion and your institution to deliver that for them. Um, obviously, she got Peter Priesthood for a while at least, so well done. Um, but, um, but you know, just the, and that is just symptomatic of the wider harm done to so many people and why so many people conclude they cannot bring up their children in this culture for all its good for all its strengths and its community, not that there's much of that left when your ward disappears, um, you know, and you haven't got kids anymore at church for your children to socialise with. It's very different now in most of the country um, to what we experienced. Um, the, yeah, it's it's powerful. I'm, I know I'm grateful. I do say to her, I think I do regularly enough, that um, uh, that's, I really appreciate that and love her for that. And and she stepped up and, you know, she's taken on getting out of her comfort zones a lot to be this public, to join in with the Brit Avengers. She's like, well, if you can't beat them, might as well join in and have some fun, you know, and <laughs> contribute great things. And she is amazing. She's, Lynn is far more incredible than she ever realizes, as you well know. Um, she's a great dancer. So I feel very supported and loved. I've, yeah, I've she, is. <laughs> she is amazing. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and I appreciated the support from the wider community as well. You know, when you guys at 21st Century Saints reached out, you know, straight after the, the excommunication to to really offer a lot of blessing and support emotionally and so on. That I really appreciated that. I tend to be very intellectual. You know, I'm not going to sit here and cry and, and emote and so on. However hard you try, and you've tried really hard, Jane. You've come close, but, do you um, have, do but you that have doesn't feelings? mean I don't have these feelings. You know, I am very passionate <laughs> about this. There's a lot of emotion behind what I'm doing. You know, and and I have felt incredibly supported and loved. And the letters that came to the state president, I mean, honestly, he hardly even mentioned them. He just said, "I've read them all." But they were a powerful and they were from active members, leaders yeah. in the church, as well as inactive. And I would sort of expected that to have more and more of an impact, you know. But um, the so, church yeah. is most definitely not better having, you know, be, been mm. through excommunicating Peter Blakely. Mm. It, it's a loss to the membership yeah. of the church. But yeah. interestingly, um, perhaps unsurprisingly to anyone who knows you I don't know if the, the the church leaders themselves have been surprised you did not leave the church you are still there you're still going every week now we checked mm -hmm. in with you around about a year ago um although you tend not to be feelings based we were deeply concerned about the mm -hmm. impact that that must have on someone mm -hmm. um and and so yeah you you don't have to talk about feelings if you don't want to, no, I'm to. but oh my goodness how yeah. are you coping um and what, yeah. what you termed the church in exile yeah so it's 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 amazing it is difficult it's painful going to church now 
you know, I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Lynn certainly does. Almost everyone says from either side, why are you doing this? And I think it really hurts, particularly when your own family members, like seriously, are like, why are you still going if you have all these issues with it? And what it is, is kind of, it's frustrating because they're not hearing the passion I have for this religion, even though I articulate it a lot. I mean, I think of all the nuanced or exmo or post-mortem mormon podcasters i quote mormon scriptures more than anything i love the big ideas the better ones in the better scriptures i will refer to them i want the church to be held accountable to its own good stuff and and to offer that as the solution for a lot of its own problems um so i i it really hurts most when people um kind of can't see why i would want to carry on when it should be so obvious that I, I love this community, these are my people, this is my tribe. Um, I, it has been come harder, you know, I've, I've, in a sense, I mean, my dad asked me really a few interesting questions. We don't get to talk about this too much, but he asked um, sort of, in a sense, am I still praying or kind of in a sense seeking what's, what's my religious life? What do I believe? And what always surprises me is when parents of someone who's seen as a dissident kind of give up the hope that you're going to carry on being the kind of Mormon they want you to be, they still want you to kind of believe in God. It's like a desperate safety net or even to go to another church. They'd find that quite comforting. And I'm just like, there's no rational basis for that at all, because you spent the whole life indoctrinating us that there is only one true church. Yeah, why would you want me to go to the apostate church? Why would that be anything good? But it just shows either how little they actually believe their own religion's truth claims, or I don't know, but it's desperate, isn't it? It's panic. It's like, please let there be some little glimmer of hope that at least he's still a bit religious. Um, and a lot of people experience this with their families where they've left the church and they're getting this kind of pressure and, and they're broken parents are so hurt and this is again the harm that the church does by telling parents you have lost your child you're not going to see them again in eternity they're on the path to hell because they don't believe a load of lies anymore you know or, or whatever so my experience it kind of goes through phases so i turn up at church i will contribute in lessons if i can I'm I am self-moderating, although because the I think the saddest thing is the trust goes. So normally in the past, I'd walk into my ward, I'd say hi to everyone, big hugs, beeline for anyone new or the investigators. I'd know the missionaries because I'd have them over for dinner every week. I was ward mission leader for years. I'd be encouraging the new members, getting to know them, trying to be a good fellowshipper. I'd be in the meeting making decisions about things. And all of that is now shut off from me. And people are lovely. And in part because I've got a long history with them. You know, we've served in lots of ways together and known each other for years. So I hope those friendships can continue. But the trust is gone. Therefore, you are no longer in the loop. You have no idea what's going on in the ward or what they're thinking or what the leaders are planning about anything. Not that anyone outside the ward council ever does anyway. I mean, that's always a, an eye opener, isn't it? When you're not in the meetings, because so little of it filters out to the general membership which shows what a waste of time they are because it's just a load of hot air. It doesn't actually change much. Um, I'm So I can't 
go bounding up and make close relationships with the investigators because everyone will panic that I'm going to corrupt them and I respect that so I'm I'm always self-censoring and kind of holding back a bit I can't just get, I used to get on really well with the kids they come and draw in my art book and in meetings or whatever but I can't you know again I have to tread very carefully so that sense of being part of a family with all the relaxed trust and and interactions is not there um I clearly make people uncomfortable when I, I say anything vaguely different or challenging in lessons. I'm determined to keep doing that where it's helpful or appropriate to stand for truth and to nudge them along a little bit. I won't do that in front of new members and investigators and I've reassured the bishop that I wouldn't do that. I hope he's reassured. I don't think they are. Um, and um, so I'm always dancing this dance, but here's why I keep doing it. I mean, there, there's a few reasons. I learn every Sunday. I want to be there. I, this is my people. This is where I interact with religion and get ideas talked about. And if what's said from the pulpit's a disaster, that teaches me something. That was wrong. But why? Because I have these alternate values and that doesn't work. And is it congruent? I, I think if you're going to be in the place of trying to reform the church, you have to be present. Sorry, I should reframe that. You don't have to be present, but it helps a lot to be present because then you can gauge what's what messaging are the members actually getting and what I'm talking about in my podcast is not how to leave this church and move on which is absolutely fine and lots of people do that it's about reform so and it's saying you know those crazy things Dylan Oakes said about there can't be any loyal opposition in the church and most TBMs think well that's just one of thousands of things they say I hardly noticed it why are you bothered well they're still being quoted. When these leaders say something really terrible, it doesn't go away, it sticks around. These three other people in their general authority talks this month quoted him saying that, which has actually just happened. It's mm. It does get into the psyche. And if you're not present challenging it, they get away with it. The Pharisees continue to get away with taking over this church with the wrong religion of control and thought stopping. And I'm gonna fight that. Um, you can you also get in ch chance encounters with people that you never get. In the last couple of weeks, I've spoken to one state president, really significant conversation, who's in sort of, you know, an emo state president. And I got to have 25 minutes or so with the mission president, the mission president. In the week after or a couple of weeks after in elders quorum, I brought up, you know, we what part of the reason I'm doing my thing. And, and I had to choose a moment when we didn't have any new people there so it's all experienced people it wasn't anyone who's tested me I was going to break or anything and I said I was trying to push for like you we've got to make some changes or we'll lose all these new members that you're getting you know we've had some really good missionaries baptize a few people um but are we going to change anything so we don't lose them and someone said well what and I said well we're just baptizing loads of black people has anyone talked to them that about how this church had racist segregation for 126 years. Has anyone done anything at all to inoculate them? And remember, you know, both um, Sarah and Ruth talked about how that, in it, even as white people, you know, in the church had been shocking when you realised what had gone on with that and it, how it had been hidden from you. Um, and, and, you know, it's probably not. Two weeks later, the mission president turns up for a baptism. I make a few vaguely intelligent comments in Elders Quorum. He kind of 
engages a bit and you know we click and he's he can see that i'm i'm not a twits you know he probably i'm pretty sure he knows who i am and my reputation um and we ended up alone in the room afterwards to talk so i said well you know I'm, would you mind me asking i'm really curious do you have any way do you give your missionary some kind of a spiel to say to black investigators um to kind of help them cope with what's coming or to inoculate them because in the past the missionaries were given a spiel to put black people off joining the church like they actually had a script the church gave them to make them like not really want to join by being upfront about it and he said well we talked with the missionaries about difficult things but it was very clear they didn't have anything specific for this i said well you're you're baptizing black people today has anyone told them this stuff what do you think is going to happen down the line you know and that led to a really interesting conversation. He was clear that, and you could see he'd been very carefully trained that, and he said it, that all the missions should be consistent with what they do, which I was pleased to hear because the way a lot of people have heard on missions is mission presence going rogue and just breaking all the rules and being nuts. And he had clearly been clear, you know, it'd been drilled into them at mission president training. You don't initiate anything new where you are. You follow the program, please don't go rogue. Um, but I sort of nudged him that the church loves innovations that work. They quickly, they end up in the, the international training the next year. So maybe give it a try, you know. So I, I feel great about that. I got to say what I wanted. I spoke some truth to power. I was in the room with, I feel it was a gift from God. I mean, when does that happen? You're, you're talking to your elders quorum about an issue to do with priesthood, uh, missionary functioning. And then you have, I was able to have the conversation with the actual mission president two weeks later. Brilliant. Love it. What he does with it is up to him. But I know he heard it. He heard it from someone. We communicated a little bit back to the institutional church from the church in exile. The reason why people are leaving, the reason why these you hurt people. So that's part of how I see my role is to speak back to the church if they want to hear it the wisdom, the collective knowledge and experience of all the people like them who left. Um, and I think that I'm trying to be that bridge. And finally, it is a bit, haha, told you so. I'm gonna be there when they close my building. I don't want them to get there, but they will. You know, we're down to about 40 members. They think the second coming has arrived because they've just baptized a few people, but none of them are families. Maybe not, there's maybe a parent with a couple of kids recently, um, but, it's not going to save the church you know and people are still leaving um so i'm 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 a witness you know and i and again it's so much like the book of mormon you have these prophets who are witnessing the end of their civilization mormon and moroni so powerful the story there the narrative of watching your people disappear and self-destruct really um and I, I, I'll be a witness to that and I will, you know, I would like it to be avoided and I'm doing everything humanly possible to encourage and gather and suggest ways to reform to stop the destruction happening, but they probably won't listen, we all know this, or not enough or not in time. So I'm going to be there as a witness, I'm going to watch it die, which it is already, and I'm going to carry on being present because normally the people that were hurt by these dysfunctions have left and they're long gone out of sight out of mind every time 
someone offers me the sacrament in sacrament meeting because they still haven't told them you know, can't give it to me because I'm excommunicated and I have to tell them no thank you the state the bishopric are watching that the bishopric who sat there and took the phones outside of my excommunication trial and sometimes the state presidency who are there they're watching that when that happens and I'm okay with that I used to do that to people when I was passing so I forgive them but I, I, I don't want it to be comfortable for them. You can't bring about reform without making the people in power very uncomfortable with the status quo. And if I go away and shush, it'll all look fine. Everything's great. And then they close their building anyway. The, these guys, they're going to close the building in front of me. I'll be watching them. I'll watch our church turn into a McDonald's and I'll be standing next to them. And maybe they'll turn to me and say, yeah, you kind of had a point, didn't you? We have no stake anymore. Um, and it's also short term. It's all going to happen in the next few years. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. not like a long drawn out process. So I've got time for that. You know, I can mm -hmm. still do some other projects afterwards. Um, so that's that's the very odd mixture of motivations and reasons I'm still there. Um, Almost as final thoughts, Peter. Yeah. Um, I and I'm, yeah. I'm going to come round everyone in a, a in a moment, mm. but um, becoming seeking rebaptism is that an option for you? Um, no, I will accept a profound apology and reinstatement of my membership um, with the cancellation of my excommunication from the first presidency. Um, I'm not going to grovel and pretend I sinned and repent. That's insane. In my head, they I'm not excommunicated. They have no authority yeah. whatsoever to have done any of that. It was all an injustice. The first, One of my points all along was the first presidency doesn't have any authority and they're the key holders of the whole machine because they appointed themselves without a vote of the people. So they don't, they literally haven't followed their own rules in the scriptures. So they don't actually have any, even as a believer, if I was or whatever I am still believing, they don't, they have no authority to any of this. So I'm just ignoring it. I'm still wearing my temple garments. You know, you tell me I can't wear my garments. What? You I am make bloody me? proud <laughs> you <know>? of you, <laughs> Peter Bleakley. And I am <laughs> yeah, so you know? glad that, yeah, that, that you are, are, mm. are still trying to make a difference. Um, because you have yeah. helped so many people. Um, Len, how is this How is this all been going for you then? Um, how are you right now? What's your relationship with the church now? <laughs> oh, I don't have any patience for it. I, I feel like when I'm, when Peter goes to church or if I drop him off, I've even stopped dropping him off because I feel too guilty watching him go in the building on his own. I feel like I'm sending, you know, sheep amongst the wolves. You know, it's just like I feel bad. So yeah, he walks to church <laughs> and goes on his own. And I can't, I can't tolerate being there. Um, I, I just right from when they, you know decided to excommunicate him I think I even said to them when I had the time to speak if you think that this is going to make any difference to Peter being here or not and speaking or uh, or not you you don't know him mm. <laughs> so um you know I'm a force ghost no. yeah exactly Len, it's not going to make also, any difference 
you I, you still from time to time when when you have a reason to you still use your vote as a member is that correct I do. yeah yeah tell, I do. Tell me a little I do, about yeah. that. um so i like to try and invite a, a vote opposed when i well i think it just kind of like happened uh, nemo was floating the idea and then it happened to be our ward conference and I was like oh okay right then I'm just going to go and vote a poll. I just thought it was a brilliant idea genius idea yes I can mm. I can do that I'm a member and I can I can show voice my you know I might not have all the words and all the knowledge um, that Peter has but I I can put my hand up and I can say I oppose um and then I can have a conversation with the state president uh, about that. Um, I'm really proud when, of you doing that. Right. Yeah. And when our but that Alana, is her choice, like I'm not forcing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When our Alana yeah. voted opposed, um, you know, back, uh, it would have been just over a year ago now, Lynn came up to hold your hand. Uh, well, she did it. And what, what is wonderful yeah. is that, um, our state president we are all so lucky in in this this circle that that we we won you know state president really it's we 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 have um extremely fond nicknames for our state presidents that are just just because they are so brilliant um but yeah our state president uh said that he would have stopped conference not because a vote opposed happened, but to come and hug Lynn Bleakley. And I think that just goes to sort of show how well loved, um, how well loved you are. Um, and and also that's the that's how threatening <laughs> this is. It doesn't matter what um what you're there for. Here's Lynn and and you're doing this incredible work. Um the vote opposed that we were just speaking about is going to become is a nice segue into what we're going to be just mentioning again in a moment. But uh, to take us out for more closing thoughts, um, let's come to you first, Sarah. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to share as we close out the show? Oh, oh you're muted. No, you're no muted. voice, no sound. So uh, we we do apologise. We know that um this this um the screen and everything has possibly made everybody a little bit dizzy tonight. Uh, but we really wanted to help <laughs> help Sarah be here as like she wants to be. So we are sorry for the technical problems that we've had. Um, do you want to try again, Sarah? Yeah, we're we're not getting any audio, but what what we can do is share something in the comments, and we will have it all resolved when we're back on Sunday. How about Ruth, do you have any anything? I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the future holds for excommunication because I think what you've done is broken the mould, Peter. There was a time when being excommunicated was the opportunity for the church to silence people and make you the unclean and people not to hold dear and in community and both active and no longer active um, members of the of the church have not let your excommunication define their relationship with you. And I find that really intriguing. And I think it is a um, death knoll for the whole process of excommunication. And I think going forward, 
maybe wouldn't it be nice if they excommunicated child abusers and people who beat their wives and people who were thieves and didn't excommunicate people who had integrity and spoke with honesty mm. and and asked the tough questions just my thoughts absolutely yeah um, <laughs> yeah peter is our church um and thank you so much peter for not just mm. the work that you do but for being bloody brilliant and a really nice mm. guy who's so well loved um oh peter thank you for the flattery so <laughs> kind to people um and uh, and is, is well loved for a reason mm. because you've connected and really supported so many of us um this Sunday, can I have... can I do a little postscript? Sorry, Jane. Yes, please. Just one no, thing. Please okay. Do. So, the bishop in Helston Ward, who sort of was ready to take my temple recommends and chase me out of the county, um, and this is part of the hope I have. Um, the a year later, we were visiting Helston again. We ventured back, um, and we were having a chat with him after church, and he was very chill. And he started basically saying everything I'd said in my talk. He started talking about how we need to sort of ease up a bit, how we need to, you know, accept people have different opinions about things, how we, I can't remember all the details of what he was saying, but, he shifted it, his paradigm, but it, yeah. we, his paradigm was shifted. And another example I'll give is that kind of my first big controversial talk in some ways was years and years earlier, um, where David Eaton, a state president of Maidstone Stake, asked me to speak just out of the blue a few years after my mission, I think, in priesthood, in priesthood training, like the, you know, the semi-annual priesthood sesh for the state leaders. And I had carte blanche to talk about whatever I wanted. And again, it was kind of a prototype of my whole thing, the difference between being a Pharisee and a Christian. And in it, I... Um, I said, you know, we've had, we've got a really terrible history at times, particularly the baseball baptisms. You know, this is an example of how bad it can get. And the legacy from that, where all our ward lists are full of people who, who were just kind of cons into join getting baptized, but didn't really have a conversion. Um, and that was just something I mentioned in passing. And I talked about my granny and how trusted, how, you know, welcoming and, and intolerant she was and so on. He kind of, I've not told this publicly before, I haven't got any permission from him at all, but anyway, it ends well, bless him. Um, he kind of hauled me into his office afterwards and said, I really didn't feel the spirit during your talk. Um, and I said, okay, what was it I did wrong? He said, uh, it was like about the baseball baptisms because he'd been, been like a missionary in Scotland in that era. And it, how do you know that wasn't from God and so on? And I was just perplexed. I was like, well, they did send an apostle to stop it. So that's kind of a clue, you know, but he, he was in very TBM mode at the time. And um, for which I've forgiven him um, and uh, just couldn't compute that, that I would, that anything the church had ever done could be wrong. Mm. Um, but years later, who is the guy who is attending Sunstone who's reaching out, who's hosting the, the, the first that we're aware of in Coventry Stake, come and ask any difficult questions, let's talk about the Gospel Topics Fireside, which is when we went along and made the girl cry, um, to tie up your other loose end from earlier, um, because she hadn't heard of any of this and kind of blundered into some post-Mormons or nuanced people talking about difficult stuff. Um, and has absolutely become an advocate and a voice 
for a big tent Mormonism. So that's why, and it's absolutely not right for everyone to be in this space or trying. And I'm not claiming it's all down to me, obviously. This is just, you know, some random encounters in a much longer journey these people have gone on. But these are leaders who seem to be the worst of the worst or seem to be very rigid, very uncompromising. Life, of course, kicks some poo out of them. You know, they had family members leave the church, whatever it was that, that kind of broke that rigidity and got them sensitive to the issues and start to see that there is a bigger you know, problem here that needs addressing. So I, as I'm a teacher, you can change horrible Neanderthal teenage boys into something a bit more civilized. And that's my job every day. So I do see the hope people can be persuaded. There's still enough Christianity there and common sense and values in amongst a lot of drag, um, in Mormonism, in how it does everything, uh, that you can appeal to that. And for some people, it's enough for them to start to change and reform. So that's why I still bother and engaging. And that's why I'm still trying to hold this very difficult space where everyone thinks you're stupid, um, with good reason, by the way. You know, I'm not arguing with any of their points. Um, and it's quite lonely and you have to be really super stubborn. So being a semi-autistic male is fantastically helpful for this. Um, and um, or, you know, whoever manages to find their way to hold that space. Um, it, it's I feel it's worth it because it does reach some people and if the institution is ever going to reform enough to stop hurting people those changes have to happen these people have to be persuaded they have to hear it from us even if their initial reaction is to threaten you in a meeting or to excommunicate you or to threaten to take away your temple recommend you just have to kind of power through that um kind of firm in the knowledge that the reality journey you went on is absolutely going to hit everyone else at some point and they will have to face those realities too and they might well become an ally eventually so it is worth still being the gadfly the difficult one the person saying the uncomfortable stuff otherwise totalitarian systems cannot be broken some people have to get in there and say the stuff and challenge it in front of everyone um and that's that's why i still bother and i really appreciate the others who support us or even if they can't do it themselves or who have taught me how you know i'm not doing this on my own um and i really appreciate that it means a lot i yeah. think your level of graciousness has been incredible you give so much grace to so many people yeah. constantly um that peter doesn't hold grudges and um one thing that I've really appreciated amongst all of the, the Brett Vengers um, as 21st century saints, we, we've talked about this a, a few times. We disagree all the time. And sometimes we get very animated about it. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant mm. to, because having different opinions is completely valid. Sometimes on our journeys, it's a little bit more personal. So the, to use a, an analogy, the mother that I was when I was, uh, when I was uh, my oldest child, um, my, my kids now have a different mother. And to the extent where I, I have to apologize when I get it wrong and it's empowering. The whole point about um, 
what we experience or you know during sacrament meeting we're supposed to feel uncomfortable from time to time because otherwise there's nothing to bloody repent of we're not going to get better if we don't recognize you know what I need to be better in this area so to be able to accept criticism it's uncomfortable um but I hate (laughs) giving people points for realizing something that they should have realized you had the opportunity to realize when someone was telling you this and because you either didn't like the tone or you didn't like how it was being delivered or you just didn't agree because you didn't see it while I the 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 thing about me is I both reserve the right for me and others to learn and grow but also I feel really annoyed whenever you finally you have to be forced into that that position so Peter you're so much nicer about it than than I feel um and sometimes we just don't know um I mean I'm, I, the wonderful our buddy John Dillon had mentioned a few weeks ago that he's calling it that the, that's it, the church is, is not going to make it in the developed world and you know Peter mentioned this once or twice over the past couple of years <laughs> you're like no you're calling nothing just because you can't imagine a world without the church yeah the early warning system has mm-hmm. been sounded so yeah I, I guess yeah. yeah I guess I'm just I it's so much better when people will just listen in the moment and if you wouldn't be completely threatened by everyone who disagrees that would be great and and Peter mm. you've modeled that and I'm just I, I think you're amazing mm. and we love you um okay, okay. so uh, before we say farewell to Peter, this Sunday we are going to have Safeguarding Sunday. We're going to be releasing our uh, presentation that we did to the conference, the one that we previewed to the leaders. Ooh. Being a little bit different, we're gonna we're gonna broadcast that this Sunday, and then we want you to watch Nemo the Mormons channel uh, this Sunday night because it's going to be really good. We are going to be following up next Wednesday with. A conversation that is extremely traumatic and um, uh, painful for me right now. Um, we're going to be talking about voting opposed, and um, yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a struggle going on here. So the gang are going to be back again, and we are going to have Nemo the Mormon with us while we figure this out together. So we hope that you can join us. Uh, so this safeguarding Sunday and next Wednesday night. Um, in the meantime, Peter and Lynn, thank you so much for being incredible friends. And thank you for modelling the kind of Mormons or ex-Mormons or whatever that looks like, nuanced Mormon, Mormonism. Thank you for just modelling the kind of humans that would be so much better if we all could be. Um, you have blessed our lives. And so we just want to share our blessing with you guys that um, wherever this mm-hmm. journey aches you that you feel supported that you feel loved um I certainly have felt the spirit over the course of um you know listening to you talk and the work that you do Peter these ideas that you are excited about I think they are exciting you make people feel excited about Mormonism you also make us feel extremely threatened and that's okay that's absolutely brilliant we're supposed to be so we bless you that you can continue this work and that you don't feel alone while you're in the church in exile because there's a lot of us who are 
with you and when we are there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. On behalf of mm. us, thank you to the Bleakleys. Uh, thank you to all of the people in the chat. And we will see you again next week. Thank you, Ruth and uh, Sarah. We hope you've found a flashlight and you're surviving there in your power pot. We'll catch you <laughs> next weekend. She's got her emergency, 72-hour emergency kit. She'll be all right. She did it, Mormon, for nothing. She'll be fine. Um, okay, good night, Teal. Thank you so much. Good night. Bye.